Welcome to Golden Topics, which are personal discussions with a variety of professionals on critically important elder issues. Hi, my name is Mirit Hoffman. I'm a mother of three, a gerontologist, and an attorney specializing in elder law. My focus is helping senior citizens to stay in control when they reach significant junctions in their lives. I am a member of STEP, which is a global society of trust and estate practitioners. I lecture on estate planning and I write on various sites about the relationship between children and their elderly parents and the daily needs of the intergenerational family. These podcasts are personal discussions with a variety of professionals and are intended for anyone who is interested in being enriched with knowledgeable information regarding significant crossroads for seniors. Let's get started. I hope you enjoy it. Families, and today we're going to be talking to Gadi Lust, who is a specialist, hang on, investments, insurance, pensions, I think I got that right, for English speakers in Israel, and also the CEO of IAL Group. So, Gadi, with no further ado, please introduce yourself. Thanks. Thanks, Mirit. And Kolakabod on these talks that you give uh, for people. I'm honored to be on your roster. Um, my name is Gadi Last. I'm in Aliyah about 14 and a half years ago. I'm married, plus five, hence we grow hairs. And um, I spent my career both in the UK, where I'm sure you can hear is where I made Aliyah from, um, and in Israel, working in the field of investments, finance. And most of most of my time in Israel was working with either Olim, English-speaking Olim, naturally, um, or foreign residents in their banking, on their investment, insurance, pensions. And I was working in one of the biggest rate banks for the first eight years after Aliyah, and about five and a half years ago, I left and I set up my own practice, the IAL group, to help English speakers in Israel with their insurance, their investments, and their pensions. Uh, because there's just, as you all know, so much there that people just don't understand stuff that I didn't understand until I thought I started dealing with it. Um, and it's just really important. There's important stuff. And um, sometimes it can be, you know, life-changing stuff as well. So it's really, really an important and uh, topic. So that's that's me in a nutshell. 100%. It's, it's like a black hole for most people, including myself. And, uh, and it is a very important topic and really shouldn't be ignored. So I'm very happy you're, you're here discussing it with us. Um, so let's start. So if somebody has assets abroad um, and in Israel, what's what do you think? What is the best way to manage these assets? Right. I mean, there's no obviously black and white answer. And at the end of the day, it's very cliched, but every situation is different. The One thing I find, though, that um, people who make Aliyah um, to Israel aren't always aware of is that, A, there are, there are people or companies who can manage assets in both places. Um, look, it's not critical to have one person doing everything, but it can have advantages. Um, often, you know, I see this all the time. People make Aliyah from England or America. They have their national advisor. They have their IFA, and they, um, you know, they they've been working with them. And you know, they, sometimes they're happy with them. And in, if they're happy and things work, I normally say my normal my philosophy generally is: if it works, don't don't break it. Okay, if it's kind of uh, it's not sure right. that expression, but if it's if it, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Something like that. 
So if that if that's the case, that's you know you have your you have whoever's managing your assets for you overseas. You have someone in Israel uh, managing assets as well. It can work. Um, it can work. Often though, there are plenty of advantages of having having come someone look over both sides. Uh, and also, and also, what a lot of people tend to do not immediately after Aliyah, but kind of after they yeah maybe been a year, year, two years, three years, they're kind of starting to feel more comfortable in Shekel. They're starting to be. Uh, turning into a nervous wreck, looking at the exchange rate every day and no, I need to send over this and that, you know, to pay to my guests. And they kind of start to think about moving more of their assets over to Israel. Um, and then, you know, having someone here who knows this, that the system is important and having someone who can kind of talk to their overseas advisor, at least understand where they're coming from, is also important. You know, someone who understands what a 401k is, what a Roth IRA, what an ISA in the UK is. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it can have a lot of advantages. Um, you know, also when managing, I can't tell people who I, when I, who I'm meeting before they make Aliyah, to always, before they, before they come, make sure they kind of set things up overseas as, as, as best as they can. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're, if you have a, uh, you haven't sold your home or you have investment real estate back home from where the country from where you made Aliyah, Make sure you know things are, are are in place so that it's easy for you to manage. You have the right people there, you know, who can who can help you now that you're not living where you used to live. Um, if you can simplify structures, tax structures, trust structures, again, it's not always possible. But uh, it depends on on the situation. But the simpler the, the simpler you can leave it for yourself, the better. Um, that's just like you know for ease of your own ease of management, and also for the shadow. What most people, a lot of people end up doing is that they do eventually start moving a lot, most, all of their assets over to Israel. And if you're having to deal with a property owned by a company which is 25% owned by your brother and your sister and you, and you need to sell that and your bank account in England, and you need to transfer over here, you need to show the Israeli bank, you know, where the money came from, it can get complicated. So, so the simpler the simpler things are, the better. Um, that's, I think... Um, that's something an important piece of advice that I give people. Well, it's good advice. There's something I wanted you to just touch on, like for for a few seconds regarding PFIX, because I know a lot of people, who, especially Americans, basically Americans, that's a big issue. The PFIX. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, it's a big issue. Um, for anyone who's listening and uh, doesn't know what a PFIX is, in a nutshell, basically, if you're a U.S. citizen, then the American tax regime has quite onerous tax reporting requirements and quite penal tax rates if you invest in certain things which happen to be the most common and sensible things to invest in etfs funds kupot genmail kravot if you're a freelancer etc um outside of the states so most americans tend to avoid these these kind of investments which means for for the americans um moving to israel the question about moving assets over to Israel is has that extra kind of layer because you can move assets to Israel. The Israeli banks, once you're living here, are not happy. Are fine. You sign a W nine, and it's okay. The problem yeah. is, is on the west side, and you may have more. You might be. You may have more options leaving your money in the states than bringing them over here. Again, not necessarily, but you know, it depends on the advisor you work with. Depends on the CPA, the US CPA that you work with. But it is very. Good that you brought up the point. It is, it is important and it's definitely a consideration um, when thinking about how much money to move over, whether to move over. A lot of Americans until now have been sending money, let's say savings in Israel, back to the States. 
which is becoming more and more difficult, as anyone who's American probably knows, on the brokerage closing accounts there. It's a, you know, it's, it's a whole, it's a subject for a whole different uh, talk. Yeah, it's definitely something to take into account. Okay. So, so I think you actually touched on this question about should I keep my uh, assets overseas? Should I keep them overseas or should I bring them all to Israel? Um, I, know that, I, mean, I know from my point of view that when I prepare wills, if they have assets in America, then there's the question, should I prepare two wills? Should I prepare one will? And then it gets a little bit complicated. And then it's the question of what they have and how structured it is, et cetera. So I'm assuming your, question, your answer would be just as uh, complicated. Well, I mean, again, it's a, it depends on the situation. And, it, and it, it doesn't have to be always as complicated as people think. Uh, there are a couple of things, actually, I, I will add to what you're right. We did start touching upon it previously, but there's a couple, there's a few things I've just, I just know from, from people that I speak to and, 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 and advise. I mean, first of all, there's obviously the 10-year tax break, okay, which is worth, um, which, again, if you're American, you have to pay your taxes in the States anyway. It's not as useful necessarily for most of but if you're not American, and you may have then it's obviously a very useful tax break. So the first kind of, there's a major misnomer, and that is that people are, un, are told mistakenly or they think, is, and that is you, you can only benefit from the 10-year tax break if you leave the money outside of Israel. And that's actually not true. Um, you can bring your money to Israel. You have to invest it in, not, not in Shekel. If you buy Israeli company stock or bonds or Israeli funds, in Shekel, then then you don't get the ten year tax rate. But if you if you invest in, then I have a lot of clients who do this, and um, who who you keep your money in dollars, in pounds, in euros. Best people are keeping it in pounds <laughs> after the last few years. But you, know, you keep it in the foreign currency, and you have it managed here in Israel through your Israeli brokerage account, through a wealth manager, through whoever. You still get the ten year tax break. And that's a very important point because just because of because of ease of. Um, Ease of, ease of living. Your money's here. You don't have to call up a bank overseas. And, you know, you know, the clothes back on the days. You can't get hold of them. It's you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The money's here. The money's in your bank account. Where not, right. not dealing with Israeli banks is the easiest thing in the world. Sometimes it's actually easier to deal with a foreign bank uh, bringing money over to Israel. But theoretically, it's uh, it, it's it's often much more convenient. That's a b. What I often advise when I'm looking at, let's say, a portfolio on there, with thinking about the proportions, what to leave in Shekel, what to have in Shekel, what to have in foreign currency. Even, even this is this is just my kind of philosophy, you know, um, just how I do it. Not everyone necessarily agrees, but once you're once you're living in Israel, I think there is a there is a um, a logic in having a portion of the assets in the Shekel, even if you're not going to get the the ten year tax break. You know, you're living here, your expenses are here. You know, you're, you're starting to just get yeah, your, your life is here. So, so that's why, you know, it's, it's also something to take into account when thinking about bringing money over. If you do want to have money in Shekel, just because you just want to, um, for convenience sake, for, you know, your lifestyle or for whatever, then obviously you need to bring that over to Israel um, to, to, to have that. So that's the other thing I, um, I wanted to add as well. Okay. Okay. So let's move on to a different thing. What Regarding insurance for for fifty five plus or sixty five plus, um, and you know, touch also on health insurance. What things should we be looking at when we're 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 looking at our insurance at that age? Right. So, yeah, so, so it's it's a good question. I mean, fifty five fifty five plus is kind of where I mean, people you, you don't have to look at your insurance every day, uh, but I always tell people they look something you look at every week. But you, it's, it's worth a year, every year or two, kind of just going over and making sure things are in order. As you start to get older, 
um, I would say 50, 55, 60 is kind of the, the critical age where um, things like life insurance in particular starts to get really expensive on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have people generally have less and less uh, uh, dependents or people who are dependent on them financially. The kids have um, he's got married and earning a living. And, uh, we, you know, parents help their kids, and it, you know that's the, we, we all know what, what's out there or what the reality is. But, uh, but it's just no, it's isn't different. It I mean, life insurance—the way I view life insurance—because I, I view everything through a, a financial protection kind of prism. Is the prism is that um, you know it's. If God forbid the person bringing in the income um, from tomorrow is not bringing in the income, you know, ha- for how long do you want the, the, does the person who's passed away? Do they want their family not to suffer from at least from a financial point of view? Right? There are plans. The kids, you know, there's trips, there's, there's trips, there's bar mitzvahs, there's weddings, there's you know, helping the kids buy, you know, buy their property. There's all kinds of things that a person's planned for, and, and they're all of a sudden. The, you know, the income's not there. So no money, that, that, that's kind of how I plan life insurance. And that's, that's the goal of the question, how much life insurance is the right amount? How much is too much? I mean, again, there's no right or wrong answer, but you know, think about it. If someone is bringing in 100, uh, 200,000 shekel a year, how many years do you want your family? Not from a financial point of view, at least, and that sounds horrible, but you know, we're, we're talking finance. How many years do you want them not to feel the financial loss? You know, if it's 10 years because your kids are... Almost, you know, out of the house, married, or whatever. And, you know, then, two hundred thousand shekel a year times ten, two million shekel. When the kids are younger, you know, there's more more years of dependency. That's you know, then it's then it's more critical to have higher amounts. And um, also, you know, when you're building assets, when once well, 55, 60, 65, there might be other assets, might be investment properties. You know, and it really depends on the financial situation of the family and the dependents. So that's that's I think the most important thing for an insurance point of view to look at to think about when you reach that age. How much life insurance do you have? Um, is it is it enough? Obviously, is it too much? How much is it costing you? And often, you know, you can do the same amount and just you know get a cheaper policy as well, so you end up paying less and, and having the same amount. You know, that that's the kind of thing to think about. And and where I would tend to kind of let's say when you, the person reduces the amount of life insurance, goes to a cheaper company, and they're now saving to X amount of shekel a month. With that X amount of shekel, you know, either you can pocket it. Or, or, you know, you take a look, but anyway, you take a look at the health insurance situation as well. So on the other hand, once you get to that age, you know, that's when the health insurance can often come into play more. There are more health issues. Um, we want to make sure that you have, you know, the the, the appropriate cover you know, that you want. And it, it's not a matter with health insurance whereby the younger you start, the cheaper it is, because it goes up with age, you know, and you, you join yeah. up very wherever. But... The healthier you are when you go in, the better, because any with health with private health insurance, any pre-existing conditions are excluded. So you know, that's why you know, that's that, that, that's a, a critical age where I would say you kind of look at the swing from life to health insurance. But someone who has full health insurance, it's fine, it's irrelevant. You know, it's just a matter of saving money or you know, using bringing their funds to better use. But uh, those, you know, that's the, those are the two main uh, those are the two main things I would say. The, the other thing. Is long-term care insurance? Um, I mean, the, the, first of all, just a lot of people—it's interesting. A lot of people think that when they join the Kupat Folim, when they join the you know, Maccabi Sheni or Mulchedetz, you know, the top level, they automatically think they have the uh, COD insurance, the long-term care insurance. They don't. You don't. So make sure you have that. 
do it through your patrolling, not through the machine's roadbook. It's it's partial cover, okay? Kind of it pays out about five thousand, four to five thousand shekel a month for five years, which you know covers a, a part of long-term care costs. But it's there, and it's kind of cheap for what it is. So it's a pretty much a no-brainer, and to go out and do that. And the other point I would just finish off by saying on long-term care insurance is that if you have an old policy, because they don't offer private long-term care insurance policies anymore. They might start in the future. They were thinking about before Corona, but Corona put it on hold. And if you have an old policy, just you know, hold on to it um, as as hard as you can because it's um, they, they don't exist anymore. And if, if you're if you're looking to raise some cash or to reduce your insurance costs, you know your old long-term private long-term care insurance policy should be the last place, in my opinion. Um, to get to raise that cash on because they're good policies they don't exist anymore um, and by the way you should know if you stop you, if you stop paying for them um, after a the time that you paid for them you, they actually still retain their value or part of their value okay so um, again we're not going to get all again to um, to technical audit, but interesting I didn't know that that's interesting news yeah yeah <laughs> listen there's a, re- there, there's a reason why the insurance policy companies uh, stop offering them they were, they were good policies, and the insurance companies swore cash they in the future. So they were like, "Well, this is just not a feasible model anymore." So they've so they've stopped it. Even if new private policies come out, which I imagine they might, as I said, they were definitely talking about it. They're not going to have the same uh, characteristics as the older ones. Meaning, the you you fix your price at the age that you go in, and they have this residual value. This residual value, even if you stop paying, and then need God forbid. The person needs the claim on the policy down the line to have that kind of residual value. Hundred percent. I mean, I mean, I think, as you said, they're one of the most important policies because you grow. I mean, that the age expectancy is getting higher, but it doesn't mean that you live healthy throughout that whole entire life, and you might well need to use Dafka from all the insurances that you're buying. Dafka, that one. So right, Dafka, right, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the also because as medical technology gets better, the average age that people are living in a COD state, in a long-term care state, is also going up. So uh-huh. policies are, they stop paying out after five years. On average, a year ago, the last time I, you know, the study came out, it was the, on average, long-term care patients are living for eight years after they become long-term care patients. So, you know, you, it's all part of financial planning and making sure you have a, from where to take money, if God forbid. Yeah, it's very important. It's very important to make sure you have that. What about um, pension accounts and hishtalmut or kupot gemel savings? What about the, what kind of, you know, tips or, or important advice you think you can give here? Right. So look, so when it comes to retirement savings, there's a couple of important, important very important points. Um, and actually, ironically, the, younger one is when they deal with these points the the better it is because you have longer for retirement to uh to enjoy the benefits of of but ha- but having said that it doesn't, it doesn't matter you know what i mean like it's um, it, it, it's you can you can better your situation how however or how the close to inside the world is the first point the first thing i would say is who's managing your pension wage dollars okay there's the performance figures are public information obviously future performance is no guarantee of past performance but there are there tend to be companies who who you know outperform long term and some who underperform long term why is that important for your pension how, how, how does very simply how does it work 
uh, how did the pension work? You, uh, a man gets to the age of 67, a woman to the age of 62 or 64, and they say, okay, time for me to retire. They go to the pension company and they say, I want to retire. This is what I've got, you know, how much money are you going to give me every month? Very simply, it's a function of how much you've saved up divided by the life expectancy. So the more you've saved up, the, the, the more you're going to have every month for the rest of your life. So you know, even even um, when, when I'm talking to people who are saying in their 40s and they still have 20, 25 years uh, to save, you know, sometimes the difference of a 1% performance um, a year can be, can mean an extra three or four thousand shekel a month on their pension. Again, the closer you are to retiring, the less. But even still, in a, if you can make a decision, but if you can do almost nothing and have an extra two, five, 200, 500, 1,000 shekel a month every month for the rest of your life, why wouldn't you, you, know, why wouldn't you do it? There's no guarantee, et cetera, but do you know what I mean? He's still worth um, look, having a good, a good look. So that's who's managing it. And also very important, how is it being invested? Something which unfortunately most Israelis, let alone only, um, just don't, don't deal with. Um, Typically, what will happen is someone will go to work for a company. The company will bring in their broker. Their broker doesn't have time to sit and think about things. He wants you to sign, and he wants to get out. And which means the majority of people in Israel are in the what they call the default investment track. Which for many people, especially on Lehman, uh, I've noticed with Americans as well. The Americans have come with a good kind of investment education in terms of their they're they're willing to take on risk. They know that you know that the right amount of stocks is you know critical for their performance and, and and it's in israel it's much much more conservative the, the default is more conservative and you know it's that's it's so important to look at how the money is invested because that has again going back to what we said about the extra performance that's forget who's managing it even you give it the worst manager but the right. investment is better that is going to bring you most of your extra performance and bring you extra money when you retire so is your money invested right if you're you know if you're a certain amount of still have a decent amount of time before retirement you know maybe you should be increasing the risk and then looking a few years before retirement five years to reduce all that risk obviously vice versa works as well you someone who's 65 and uh 20 years ago put all of their pension into stocks and they're about to retire you know or retiring in a year or two you want to make sure that you reduce that risk because you know there could be a crash Sods and all. A few, a few months before you retire, there's a, there's a market crash, and now you're retiring, so you don't have time to make up, you know, that loss. So it's 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 very very important to look at how your money is invested. Fees are also important. You know, everyone's always going about fees. I need to adverse and this regulator fees. Fees are important, and they will also you know, any any money you're not paying to the pension company, you're you're pocketing yourself. You know, so it's also important to keep on top of fees. Um, the last thing I would say on pensions is also there. There are, if anyone has been in Israel for a while, you know, a number of years, at least um, at least ten years, it could be that they have old pension plans that don't exist anymore and have certain benefits um, which you can't get. Meaning, just before you make any major changes or cancel old plans and move to new plans, you know, make sure you are uh, you know you, you're doing it with your eyes open and you know what you're doing. And um, right. again, that can also have a big effect. Right. What about Kupot Gemel? Is there anything special about Kupot Gemel, Kamalti Shtalmut, and stuff like that? Yeah, it, it, it's the same on I mean, Kupot Gemel, Kupot Gemel is essentially also it's like it's a pension vehicle, just without the insurance costs. Oh. And Kupot uh, Gemel is also kind of under the umbrella of 
you know, retirement savings. I mean, it's it's not really retirement savings. After six years, you can take the money out. But there, but there again, a lot of people, what they do, especially only made out of the year, not at the beginning of their working life, and they need to kind of save up as much as they can for, you know, for retirement. They're relying on their care and each downwards to, to add to their kind of overall pension pot and take their monthly pension from. So that's also, who's managing it? What fee are you paying and, and how is it invested? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes you also have, I've come across cases where a person's retired and, and they they actually view their pension fund or, or more, more commonly their Kupak Gemen or Karenish Dolmud as, you know, what they're going to bequeath to the next generation. They don't need it. They're, they're living on what they have. Um, and, you know, so they might be 75, 80 years old, let's say, who normally you wouldn't, you'd say, you want to go low risk, you know, but uh, in theory, it's, it's not necessarily as short a time horizon as, as you know, you, you, you might have thought originally. So it's important, again, it, each case is different and each person's situation is different. It's important to kind of make sure that things are set up for you according to what you want. It's right for you and not just to take the, the regular standard uh, advice. Okay. What about borrowing money at this age? A lot of people, you know, might think I need to borrow money for something big, but then they're worried because they're older. How does it work? What should they do? Man, so... So, I mean, it, it, there, there are a couple of ways which aren't so commonly known, which you can borrow um, at any age. Obviously, uh, when, when people think borrowing, they think mortgage. The banks don't like to lend beyond the age of 75. So, you know, that's for, for many people, especially retirees, let's say, on that, the income rates are there, that actually down, the monthly repayment would be very high because it's a short time horizon. Mortgages aren't necessarily the the right the right way to do it. So there's two options. Um, one which don't necessarily exactly replace a mortgage, but can definitely be useful and are not and are very useful and use I use them all the time. A is that you can borrow against your pension fund, your care and your carriage donors and cook the camel. Okay, it's the amounts you can borrow are you know depending on whether the money is liquid or not. Pension funds obviously aren't liquid until you retire, so you can borrow right. it. Thirty percent of what you have on a carriage number, which is you know, which is liquid, meaning you could withdraw it if you want. You can borrow between seventy and eighty percent, and it, it's a pretty quick way of getting, relatively quick way of getting a loan. You know, the the whole credit process is much easier than doing it with a bank. It's a short form. It's um, you know, they often have the money in your account within a couple of weeks. They also they're very flexible as well in terms of your payments. You can either have the regular repayments of capital plus interest. You can also have interest only. And in some cases, you can even have um, you know, balloon, uh, not balloon, sort of where uh, like basically pay nothing until the end, right? Right, right, right. right. You can do seven years. So, kind of, you know what I mean? So, as opposed to a mortgage, which is 20, 25 years, so your monthly repayment will actually be, you, know, you have to make sure that it works for you. Um, but the interest rate is also very low. It's usually prime, you know, prime. Minus prime plus a little bit prime in today is one point six percent. It's a very you know if you need if you need short term money if you need you know you want to give your kids a hundred two hundred thousand shekel and um, you know it's 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 a really great way to do it. The other thing I would say for Americans is that um, and even for non-Americans but particularly for Americans because as we discussed earlier finding ways to invest tax efficiently or or, or, or efficiently before is not always easy and and the best the best wall. Uh, the Karenish Del North is really pretty much the best savings vehicle out there. And instead of taking the money out, 
because you're not going to be able to put that money back in. You can put new money in. You can't put back the old money. Let's say if you, you know, you take it out, you, you buy, you invest, you sell it, and you want to put the money back in. You can't do that. Um, so instead of taking the money out, often the advice is, again, assuming the person can afford the monthly repayments and assume there's somewhere where they're going to have to be able to pay, you know, um, to, instead of taking the money out, to borrow, to borrow to borrow against the care and downloads. And again, each everyone has, you know, they're going to pay it back from wherever they want. Worst comes to worst, you just use the money in the care and download to pay it back, you know. But right. Right. No, it's, it's very... For some people who didn't know that this option exists, so now they do, and it's a good option. Yeah, I've, I've, I've met people who have you know, taken the money out and asked, you know, well, you know why, why did I do that? Listen, whatever, it is what it is, but uh, it's definitely worth knowing. That's, that's, that's the first. And the second thing is, what's even less known, um, is that you, there's one company in Israel, one of the insurance companies, potentially a second, uh, uh, may, have, may have just joined the market, but who also what we call over reverse mortgages, so equity release, something which is very popular in, in overseas in the States, England. Right. Um, you can th think about it, if, you know, thank God, depending if you're looking to buy or if you already own it, property prices in Israel have gone up a ton over the years. You know, so you have situations, like in other markets in the memory realm, when I was in England, even, it was already like that. You'd have someone who owns a four-bedroom apartment in Rishol, it's the owning Khonon. I'm not talking about Rechavia and mid-central Tel Aviv. You know, and suddenly it's worth three, two, three, four million shekel. You know, they they now want to, um, they don't have a mortgage, okay? And they want, but they want to release equity to, for whatever, to invest, so much to invest, to invest in theory, uh, although you've got to be quite a, quite a gutsy person, in my opinion, to borrow against your property, property to invest, but you want to have it. Yeah, to, just to give the kids, maybe, to give the kids exactly, a bit. Exactly. Yeah. They want to help their kids um, put a down payment on their place or, you know, whatever it is. So you basically, you release equity from, from the home. Um, and here too also, it's like, well, it's very flexible, meaning you don't even have to pay anything back. You can obviously pay capital and interest back. You can pay interest back or you can pay nothing back. And when the person you know, leaves the property, either they leave this world or they sell or whatever, you know, only then does the loan have to be paid back. Um, which, which again, you have to, each situation is, 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 is unique, but it's it, an option which exists out there. And frankly, I, I mean, I've asked people in the industry why it's not, why it's so not a common thing yet. Um, and no one really gave me a good answer because, you know, in, in, in England and in America and other countries, it's it's so common, these kind of type of uh, um, credit facilities. But uh, what, for whatever reason, it here is not so common, but there is one, potentially two companies here which do which do that. That's very important, actually. That's very important to know. Okay, we're, we're nearly done, but I do want to touch on a very important topic about what should people do if they start downsizing? Because, you know, the nest is empty. They don't need the big house anymore. They've sold the big house. They bought a smaller apartment. Now they have all this money. What would you advise them to do with the money? How would sh should they invest in? How should they invest or what should they do with it? Right, right, right. Yeah, also, uh, um, something, something come across all the time and it, it's interesting because uh, often but you know not, it, it people have sold their made home and all of a sudden they have amounts in their account which they have not are not used to having and it's quite it could be quite uh quite scary you know, it's obviously nice to have but it's also like you know i've never had to think about these kind of amounts so obviously answer one is yes look to invest in in something kind of don't, don't leave the money 
And to be fair, the, the low interest rates that we've had in, in the world for so many years has made people much more um, antsy or kind of uh, willing to invest. People don't like seeing large amounts of cash in their account because they don't get anything for it. Right. So, you know, so, and, and it's definitely, you know, that's, uh, that's the right thing to do. Do something with it and, 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 and invest it. If you, need, if you may need that money for something, Okay, if um, someone's moving to somewhere else, or their kids are going to need, or they have a, a, a use for it, then you play, you invest in something which the time horizon matches what you're going to need the money for. If it's money that you may or may not need, may or may not need, you know, it's just there to grow and be given over to the next generation. Then, then we think about it in a different way. But definitely, it's definitely, definitely don't leave it in cash in the bulk. Definitely uh, think about doing something with it. You know, there's there's all kinds of things you can do. There's there's a, Better small investment property. There's a there's a brilliant stock portfolio, bond portfolio, lending platform. I mean, again, it's not the form to work through all the options, but and there are definitely things that are out that uh, that you should be doing. Uh, don't leave it in cash in the bank account. Okay, well, that's that's important. Don't leave it in cash in the bank account. Okay, well, time flew, and then quite a got a lot of information, and um, I wanted to. Thank you very, very much for talking with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Golden Topics. I hope you enjoyed it and that it provided you with important information. Do not forget to click and subscribe to Golden Topics so that you can stay updated on my upcoming podcasts. And of course, please share and invite family and friends to listen so that they can also benefit from the information discussed here. You are also welcome to visit my website, www.lawmirit.com, and to follow me on Facebook for more information regarding intergenerational estate planning and the various needs of the elderly population. I'm already waiting for you with my coffee in the next episode. Oh.